Hello, my friends from all over the world. Welcome to another episode of Confessions of a PYP Teacher. My name is Lou Gerlock from Think Chat, and this is confession number 80. Can you believe it? Today, we're going to do something a little weird. We're going to have an overview and a challenge in one. Ha! So two episodes for one. We're going to define your problem with the four agreements. So we're going back to those four agreements from challenge number one, which is awesome. Okay, of this design thinking challenge. So we're going to start off thinking about something that Albert Einstein once said. If I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about solutions. Isn't this human nature? It's one of the hardest things to do is to define the problem we want to solve. This requires us to dig deep into those underlying root causes not those symptoms, my friends, which can open us up to a lot of vulnerability. Most organizations don't like to admit there's a problem. Everything's fine. We're happy. Look at us. Our kids are performing, right? Um, it, we have a nice building. Everyone looks happy with a smiley face on social media. But there, no organization is perfect. And no one likes to admit that they have a part of their system that's not functioning as appropriately as it could. It's our human nature for striving for perfection, whatever that might be, right? And yet, can you imagine an alternative reality where we actually admitted our fallibility? Truth would be the hallmark of all organizations and people would never fear the provocation of war, poverty, or perfectionism because our best would be best enough and we'd all be happy with it. And recently I've been watching a lot of shows set in um, France, in Paris, and I'm just like, hmm, okay, they've got it down. So do the Aussies, so do the Germans, where they have... This mentality is that we work hard, but we also live, right? We're not working to live. And I love that mentality. And so thinking about that, if everyone was like that and we were just happy, happy with what we had, wouldn't that be enough? And at the root of every problem, there is a cause. And do you know what's the cause of the problem? of a problem at your school. Everyone has them, but do you know the root cause? And I'll be honest, many people don't. They often think that, like we said, that symptom is the root. But when we dig deeper, you know, that's when we discover it. And once you do this as an organization, we have to acknowledge that it exists. And sometimes that is also problematic where we discover it's point blank. It's right in our face. This is a problem. And then, and we have people in the organization that control that say, what? I don't see a problem. And so then the problem doesn't get fixed. So, but let's say we do acknowledge the problem. And we recognize that it exists and we want to fix it. 
From there, then we're going to decide, you know, what are some of those instructional strategies that we're going to employ to try to get this to be fixed? Or, and if they're not instructional, what are some other strategies operational that we're going to employ? How are we going to, or what are we going to need in order to solve this problem? What kind of resources? Is it going to be a physical thing? Is it going to be a human resource? Is it a combination of? And also, we have to think about who's going to be needed to help deploy and solve this problem. It's usually going to be the staff. So how are we going to arm them so not only do they feel confident, they feel competent. And so that requires a lot of professional development. And of course, all of this takes time. This isn't going to happen in three months. It's not going to happen in six months. But it doesn't have to happen in six years either. Most institutional changes can happen between one to two years where you identify the problem first and then it takes a lot of background to be able to roll it out so that we can fix the problem. But it can be done and it can move your school forward. That's it. So to help us with this process, we're going to utilize those four agreements again and consider which agreement lies at the root of the issue that's happening at your campus and possibly create, this is going to be the challenge for you. Think about what's a possible solution for this problem at your campus. Once again, no one's perfect. No one. No campus is perfect because it's run by humans and we're we're bound to make mistakes. But oftentimes we make the mistake, oh, leadership is aware of this problem. They've got their own stuff to worry about. They're they're making sure kids are in seats. They're making sure that people are healthy, that people are getting fed, that there aren't any behavior issues. And if there are, that how are we going to separate kids? How are we going to ensure that everything's operating within the building? And how are people being supported either professional development-wise or um, by going into classrooms to model teach? We're multifaceted. And so don't assume that leadership sometimes has the wherewithal, not saying that they're not brilliant. They are, but they've got a lot, just like you do as a teacher, have a lot to juggle. So if you have a potential solution, bring it, bring it and present it to them and bring some actionable steps of, hey, this is what we could do and this is how we could possibly do it. Miracles have happened where I've actually seen this happen at schools where a teacher brought a solution and it made a huge change. So let's try this. So as we go through the four agreements, we're going to give you one possibility and then why it matters. So that's kind of be the rationale. Why should we care, right? You're going to listen and you're going to pick one that you think best resonates with the underlying root issue at your campus. So here we go. Be impeccable with your word. When I'm thinking of this agreement, I think about what is being said and unsaid. So here are some possible things to consider with being impeccable with your word at a PYP campus. So, How is the language of the learner profile attributes a part of your daily practice? 
How do you use them within lessons, outside at recess, on duties, and when you engage with colleagues? Why does this matter? When we use the language of the learner profile regularly, it becomes a way of life rather than terms to be memorized. We begin to take them into our daily practice as a code of behavior and our interactions with others are impacted by them. We think, we speak, we write, we reflect with these terms in mind. So they're constantly at the forefront. And we're presented with undesirable behavior, such as gossiping about leadership, or we're hearing gossiping about fellow educators, or we're hearing gossiping about students. We choose not to engage because we understand that it means to that, that if we engage, we're participating in unprincipled behavior through our thoughts and our deeds. That's what we mean by taking them in as a disposition. And this is why it's so important to utilize them in our daily life rather than a standalone lesson once, three, five times in a unit. It it doesn't change lives. Okay, enough on my soapbox. So number two, Don't take it personally. I'm trying not to take it personally that you're not taking the learner profile on. Ah, Sorry. Um, I'm trying to be uh, dramatic here. Okay. So don't take it personally. This is one of the hardest things to do, especially when we feel we must defend our honor as teachers, right? And there have been times this has been me. Uh, No, you're not going to... Uh-uh. No, I'm not going to do this because this is not uh-uh, you know, and we have to feel like we have a right. But when we don't take things personally, it will greatly change our outlook on ourselves and our profession. So here's some questions to consider. How might performance appraisals be based on co-constructed success criteria? How do they rely upon actionable skills from the approaches to learning? So why does this matter? As a teacher, we take a lot of things personally. And one of the greatest things that we take personal is our performance review at the end of the year, whether we're at a private school or at a public school, state school. Because that performance appraisal puts almost a little rubber stamp next to our name. And in our minds, we look at, it's either I'm a good teacher or I'm a bad teacher. And we walk away feeling like bad teacher if we don't have enough. We could have just one bad mark out of a hundred satisfactories. But that one bad mark is what stays with us, right? And it labels us in our minds as a bad teacher. So we often make these goals, right, at the beginning of the year that are based on current interests by the school or the governing body or areas of study or new curriculum or whatnot. But are they founded on actionable items? 
I have made plenty of goals in my life that were flimsy at best, that I could not pack up, I won't lie. And they were difficult to monitor and they were difficult to document for sure. Because I, uh, because the goals were not made to be actionable. Now, another way to consider, though, how to make them actionable is utilizing the approaches to learning. Not only do they help learners gain independence, but they can also guide our teaching, too. I've often felt at times that I personally do not explicitly teach the ATLs as well as I could have because I didn't have enough time or they were too complex. I didn't know how to teach them. So I didn't unravel them completely. So this is where the opportunity comes in. of How can we make a success criteria for goals where we can bridge the gap between ATL development of our learners and also developing ourselves? And how those can help us not take things so personally, right? Because we're building up those skills of resilience and communication skills, how to operate appropriately socially. How do we self-manage ourselves so that we're organized educators and also then don't implode when our grades are due and we haven't properly prepared? Or how can we then utilize our thinking skills to think of a better way of operating and also research different best practice out there? So that's just putting that out there. Oh, okay. The third one. Don't make assumptions. All right. Well, I said don't take personally might be the hardest one, but I changed my mind. I think this one might be equally hard because we have been taught as young children to continuously read between the lines as we read. This has led to how to infer what may or may not be present in a situation and how can we tell. And then we get into the most trouble with this one because then we're doing that in our everyday lives. Hmm, this person did this to me, so I'm inferring that this is what it means, right? And and it has nothing, uh, Oh. Yeah, that leads down to a rabbit hole of disaster. So let's focus on two questions that we're going to focus on to help us to unravel this. How do you use factual, conceptual, and debatable questions throughout the day to add depth and clarification? How are your learners wielding these questions on their own? Why does this matter? As human beings... We are naturally curious about the world and we're continuously asking questions to make sense of it. The reason we are using level questioning is so we can unravel hidden truths within curriculum. As we're utilizing conceptual and debatable questions, it'll go deeper and deeper and deeper. And by teaching with a variety of questions, we are providing access to creative and critical thinking on a 
regular basis. And just like the learner profile, we want it to become part of the language and disposition of ourselves as educators. So then it becomes dispositions within our learners. Now, as an educator, I regularly use the Wiederholz question matrix. And that was discussed in the very beginning in the inquiry challenge. Go check it out, asking the right questions. But I would always post it across um, the main point of instruction as a continual reminder of, for me to ask a variety of types of questions. Because there are tons of lower level ones that we have access to in basal readers, in uh, curriculum guides that do not go so deep. And they also are not connected to our unit content. So, and they're not transdisciplinary. So that is why knowing how to ask these types of questions matter. And then they matter because they help our learners to unravel deeper ideas as well. How does this pertain to helping solve our problems? Because if we, as a school, know how to ask good questions, we'll be able to ask those deeper questions and explore deeper to get to the root of the issues of our systemic problems. And if everyone in the building knows how to do this, Imagine how powerful that will be. The last agreement. Always do your best. Human beings are fallible creatures. We're always going to make mistakes. It's guaranteed, my friends. But in times of error, we simply have to say, well, I tried and go again. We don't judge ourselves for our past mistakes. We just try harder in the future. It's that simple. Why does this matter? A functioning system continues to evolve when its members take risks and try out new ideas. This requires a tremendous amount of courage and trust within the team. But it helps the organization to look at old problems with new ideas in hopes that it evolves. This is how people make authentic action happen within their learning. And it's not just for a project or a unit of inquiry. It's for life. A community where authentic action is happening has a place in the school where it celebrates participants, learners, people, in the building, taking real life action, where we can see that they're taking action uh, that support themselves, either within the community or the world beyond. This sets a tone that action within ourselves is equally important as taking action that's showcased for the world to see. Also, if the action doesn't work out, You can always try your best next time. It's the process, not that final product that matters in life. Now, when you go back to these four agreements, because you're going to have to roll back, honey. 
what you're going to do is you're going to think, how do these four goals, which one best matches what I think is the root issue at my school? Is it because, are we having a cultural issue because we don't utilize the language of the learner profile regularly? And because we don't have this language, it's not deeply founded. And so we don't have a culture of PYP learning. We do units, but we don't do the PYP. And don't take it personally. When we're looking at performance appraisals and success criteria, that's all about agency. Is agency at the root of the issue that you as a teacher don't have agency? Your school doesn't have agency because of the systems. Your children don't have agency to uh, because of the systems. So how can we fix the system? Don't make assumptions. That's all about asking factual, conceptual, and debatable questions. Is Do we ask enough questions? Do we get to the root of finding out and really digging deep because that's going to drive your inquiry practice and that's also going to drive your conceptual connections. Maybe that's at the root of why your school is not progressing. Is it enough uh, that children don't know how to ask questions so they don't know how to inquire deeply and they don't know how to connect? And always do your best. Maybe at the root of it all, you're struggling as an organization to really get kids to take self-driven action. Because, and, and the reason why, once again, agency to take action. That action is looked upon as a process, not a product. And that we're focused more on the children taking risks to try to do things rather than did they do it correctly. Now that is a lot to unravel. But I guarantee you, my friends, if you attack the one of these, then you come back and attack some more. As you peel back all of these pieces, then you're going to find the foundation of the PYP. Once you've hit all of these four agreements, you've laid the foundation of the PYP at your campus authentically. Whoop, whoop. So oh, it's a lot of hard work. And it might take one to two years for you to do each. That's like eight years, but that's okay. It's not a race. It is a journey, a journey to becoming a better self, a journey to becoming a better teacher, a journey to becoming a better institution of learning, but more importantly, a journey to guide our students to their better selves. And we can't do that if our systems and our being are not there. And so that's where we have to start. Whew. See why I combined this all into one? Maybe this was a mistake. Woo! Anyway, I hope you have a lovely week and I can't wait to see you on the next challenge. I, something tells me that's going to be a two-parter. Have fun. <laughs>